Hey everyone, welcome to Bar Talk. My name is Peter Bolak. I'm the Assistant Executive Director at the North Carolina State Bar. Uh, with me today is Brian Oten, our Ethics Counsel and Director of Special Programs. Hi, Brian. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. In this episode, we're going to give you a recap of the events and actions that were taken in the April quarterly meeting of the North Carolina State Bar Council. Uh, hopefully, we'll make this short and sweet for you, but uh, want to give you a, a good little synopsis and summary of, of the uh, council actions from April, and we'll just dive right into this, Brian. I think um, one of the most important committees at the State Bar is the Ethics Committee, and like most quarters, there's a lot of actions coming from the Ethics Committee, including some uh, proposed and adopted opinions and some potential uh, proposed changes to the rules of professional conduct. Uh, Brian, would you kind of lead us into, uh, into ethics with uh, beginning talking about some of the opinions? Absolutely. And we had a, a great meeting this past April. Uh, for anybody who wants to go back and look at the discussion, uh, you can always check out our archived uh, recordings of these different State Bar meetings on the State Bar's YouTube channel, uh, which you can find at youtube.com slash North Carolina State Bar. Uh, but the Ethics Committee uh, uh, had a lot of different things on their agenda. Um, there's a number of issues that they are studying that are still remaining in subcommittee. Uh, but we did actually publish four opinions this, uh, this quarter. Uh, the first opinion is one that is being republished after it was originally published in 2019 and got a lot of feedback, a lot of negative feedback, frankly. A lot of folks disagreed with the analysis and some of the conclusions there. And that is proposed 2019 formal ethics opinion four. It deals with communications with judges. Uh, so if you had read that before and had some sort of thought uh, one way or the other, uh, please do go back and read that again because the analysis has changed pretty substantially with regards to what lawyers' professional responsibilities are when communicating with members on the bench. Uh, another opinion that was uh, published, a revised version of the an opinion that was published is proposed 2020 formal ethics opinion one, which is entitled responding to negative online reviews. This one has been around for a while. Uh, and of course, it deals with exactly what the title is that situation when a client or someone else posts a negative review about your the lawyers legal services on Google or Yelp or, or whatever the review site might be. And what exactly can a lawyer do in responding to that negative online review? So please go take a look at that one as well uh, and submit any comments you have. Like I said, we previously published these opinions and we received a lot of different comments and that's incredibly helpful to the ethics committee as we try to shape an opinion that's going to be uh, not just correct under the rules of professional conduct, but ultimately practical and helpful uh, to guide lawyers out there uh, in the practice. And I think, Brian, this is a good example of the fact that uh, your particip you know, the, the lawyers and our members' participation and uh, comments really do have an effect on the outcome of these opinions. Absolutely. Yeah. The, like, like we always say, every comment is considered uh, that gets submitted. And I know that some folks may think, well, you know, I'll submit a comment, but does it really get to the estimate? The answer is unquestionably yes. Uh, and it really does influence the ethics committee members to maybe go back and take a look at something. Maybe they reach the same conclusion or maybe they decide, 
really, we need to we need to reevaluate here. Um, so please do send in those comments. Uh, ethicscomments at ncbar.gov is the email address where you can send in the comments. Um, but uh, we actually had two new opinions that were also published this quarter. The first is uh, one that deals with the duty to detect and properly respond to counterfeit checks. This is kind of an age old scam that's really been targeted at lawyers amongst other professionals uh, in sending counterfeit checks and hoping that uh, somebody can essentially scam a lawyer out of, uh, out of a, a sometimes large sums of money. Um, the other opinion that's being published deals with uh, whether a lawyer can charge fees to uh, what we'll call the opposing party in a residential real estate closing. That's that situation where a, you know, a buyer may retain a, a, an attorney to close the transaction and the uh, seller retains their own attorney. Um, and sometimes there's just this question of, well, buyer's attorney now, can they charge the seller for the work that they're actually completing to finally close a transaction. Um, and so that, that opinion is out there. Again, we welcome your comments. We would encourage everybody to take a look at their State Bar Journal, go on the website um, and, uh, and read these opinions. And if you have a reaction, whether you think we got it horribly wrong or whether you think we got it right, please do send in your thoughts to ethicscomments at ncbar.gov. And Brian, so uh, you know we had the ethics opinions that were dealt with by the committee, but over the last few quarters, the ethics committee has also been studying whether there should be any proposed changes to the rules of professional conduct, uh, particularly the preamble to the rules of professional conduct and, and, and possibly even uh, rules as it relates to um, competency for lawyers uh, in terms of implicit bias and cultural competency. Uh, where are we on, on these two action items? So these, these two matters um, that you highlighted are really kind of a part of a uh, I guess an initiative that that David Allen announced, David Allen being the chair of the Ethics Committee, and he announced this back over the summer of 2020, uh, that the uh, Ethics Committee was going to start looking at these different amendments, starting with the preamble. Um, these matters have, uh, as you may remember, we published a, a proposed amendment to the preamble back in July of 2020. We received a lot of comment, both in favor and opposing that proposed uh, amendment, and that issue was sent back to a subcommittee for further study. Um, and, and this, along with the, uh, the one that you mentioned, uh, the, the potential comment to rule 1.1 on competency regarding implicit bias, these have been studied by separate subcommittees. Um, those meetings also uh, are available for viewing on the State Bar's YouTube channel. Um, but there's been some really great conversation amongst the different subcommittee members. And ultimately, uh, the subcommittee that was studying the preamble uh, met over this past quarter and uh, drew a conclusion, making a recommendation to uh, essentially rewrite the proposed amendment to the preamble uh, and uh, recommend its publication. And the Ethics Committee, the Executive Committee, and ultimately the State Bar Council agreed with that recommendation. And so we have a new proposed amendment to the preamble that's out for publication this quarter. And I'd like to read it for everybody. Uh, the proposed amendment states, and this is again, the proposed amendment to the preamble, which is an aspirational section of the rules of professional conduct. It's not enforceable, but nevertheless, it's an important part of our rules of professional conduct in stating just what lawyers really should strive for um, as far as you know, that those aspirational goals of the profession. The amendment would say this, the North Carolina constitution requires that right and justice shall be administered without favor, denial, or delay. Public confidence in the justice system is strengthened when all participants are treated equally, fairly, honestly, and respectfully within the system. 
a lawyer as a representative of and crucial contributor to the justice system should foster public confidence in the administration of justice by treating all persons the lawyer encounters in a professional capacity equally, courteously, respectfully, and with dignity, regardless of a person's race, sex, national origin, religion, age, disability, sexual orientation, gender identity, marital status, or socioeconomic status. So again, this is a proposed amendment to the preamble of the rules of professional conduct. If you have any thoughts, if you have a, a comment uh, that you, you agree with this statement, or if you disagree with this statement, feel free to send that comment into ethicscomments at ncbar.gov. The second, the second proposed change to the rules of professional conduct uh, is a comment to rule 1.1 on competency. Why don't you tell us about that? So a subcommittee was formed to study this particular proposed uh, amendment to rule 1.1. It was a separate subcommittee from the other one studying the preamble. And this subcommittee wanted to look at the idea of whether or not implicit bias and different cultural differences can have an impact on a lawyer's interaction with and representation of clients. Um, the subcommittee ultimately drew the conclusion that uh, a new comment to Rule 1.1 should be adopted. And again, similar to the preamble, the Ethics Committee, the Executive Committee, and ultimately the State Bar Council agreed that this particular proposal should be published for comment. Uh, this new comment to Rule 1.1 would state as follows. Competency includes a lawyer's awareness of implicit bias and cultural differences relative to a client or anyone involved in a client's matter that might affect the lawyer's representation of the client. This is to ensure understanding of the client's needs, effective communication with the client and others, and adequate representation of the client. So again, similar to the preamble, this too is out for publication. It's out for comment. We absolutely welcome your comments. If you agree and you're in favor of adopting this comment, to rule 1.1, uh, feel free to send that uh, your thoughts in to ethicscomments at ncbar.gov. If you disagree with this comment and don't think it should be adopted, again, send those comments in to ethicscomments at ncbar.gov. I do wanna point out that this comment, one of the things that we discussed really at length in both the subcommittee and the ethics committee was the question of enforceability. Um, because the preamble, of course, is very aspirational. It's not enforceable, but you get into the comments to the rules and you start getting closer to that line or at least the question of, is this something that's enforceable? And I would encourage anybody that has any questions about that to go back and, and watch those videos of the meetings where we discussed this particular idea, because I think it was very clear that this uh, too, similar to the preamble, is, is rather aspirational. Um, it would be uh, incredibly uh difficult and, and uh, unique, I think, to even dream up a scenario where this could be enforceable. Um, but uh, we nevertheless uh, still feel that it's very important uh, to, to, to get everybody's thoughts on including this type of statement in the rules of professional conduct, particularly as it relates to rule 1.1 on competency. All right. Um, so uh, the ethics committee, uh, certainly had a lot on its plate this past quarter. Uh, a lot of the proposed rules and um, actions of other committees head through the executive committee of the state bar, which is made up mostly of the chairs of the various committees of the bar. Uh, and it really is kind of, you think of like the funnel system where everything funnels from most of, from our committees into the executive committee for review. 
and approval before heading to the full state bar council. Uh, so there, there was a, uh, a proposed rule regarding uh, CLE that had been published, uh, but for, for two quarters now, and was uh, finally adopted by the state bar council that relates to uh, diversity, inclusion, and elimination of bias training. Uh, this proposed rule was uh, adopted by the council to require one hour of diversity, inclusion, and elimination of bias training, which is defined in, in the proposed rule uh, and is now going to be sent to the Supreme Court uh, for its review and potential uh, approval. Uh, and that, that requirement would be in place for the 2022 CLE year. Uh, you can find that proposed rule on our website or in the journal. I won't read it to you uh, in, in full today. And uh, another action item, in addition to various proposed uh, rule changes that are uh, minor and technical in nature, there was the adoption of a new uh, specialty for the Board of Legal Specialization. Uh, Brian, can you tell us what, uh, what new specialty is out there that hopefully one day soon lawyers will be able to uh, become board certified in? Sure. And uh, I think before um, even talking about that, Peter, one thing to note about that CLE rule, um, you had mentioned that it was going to go into place in 2022, but it's only for a single year, right? It's not a, it's supposed to be an ongoing one at this point. Right. The proposed rule that is going to the Supreme Court would only be uh, effective for the 2022 CLE year. The CLE board is conducting a broad study of its rules to uh, determine what changes need to be made as it relates to your, your credit requirements, the uh, maybe the reporting period for taking your hours, should that be extended to uh, a longer period of two or three years to take your required hours, what specialty credits should be required within that period, various changes to applications and, and annual report forms and those types of things. And so that study is ongoing and hopefully will be completed later this year with some recommendations of rule changes that will go through the council and then on to the court for potential approval. And so there is an intent from the CLE board to have diversity inclusion training uh, be more of a permanent um, credit, whether, trying to figure out whether that's every year or every few years, but the rule that is currently adopted and sent to the court is only effective for the 2022 year. All right. Well, the um, uh, going back to what you had uh, just mentioned, the the creation of a new specialty. Um, you know, the specialization program has a number of different practice areas that they certify specialists in, and one uh, area that uh, the Board of Legal Specialization and ultimately the State Bar Council. Uh, have agreed should be uh, adopted as a new specialty is child welfare law. Um, and you know this is one of those things that uh, we were approached uh, in the specialization program, approached by a number of different lawyers uh, out there in the profession and in the child welfare practice area that want to create this specialty here in North Carolina. Um, so after a lot of work on their part uh, to craft new standards and so forth, after publication of the proposed standards, uh, the State Bar Council did uh, approve the, um, or I guess recommend the, the full adoption of the new standards, creating a child welfare law specialty in North Carolina. Um, I think it's important to note that, that this would be one of, I think maybe three uh, specialty certification programs that actually uh, uh, that recognizes child welfare 
as a specific specialty area. So we're really excited about this development uh, and uh, similar to the CLE proposal, it will be sent on to the Supreme Court for its review and potential adoption. In addition to the executive committee, you know, we have uh, other committees that are doing a lot of interesting things. Uh, one of those being the issues committee. The issues committee is generally uh, uh, structured with a number of different counselors from across the state, different practice areas that study just these issues, quite frankly, that come up to the practice um, that get that get presented to the state bar council for further study, or um, maybe if there's some sort of action that uh, the state bar council can look into. Uh, and so um, there's a lot of kind of um, random and sometimes seemingly unrelated issues uh, that get studied by this particular committee. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that I think is really important here. So Peter, do you want to take us through some of the uh, subcommittees that are, are currently underway uh, studying the various issues before this committee? Sure. I, without getting into too much detail, the issues committee has a, has some subcommittees going on. Uh, there's one looking at the secure leave process in North Carolina, uh, hopefully finding a way to make the, that um, more useful for lawyers, uh, something that we have heard that lawyers don't particularly uh, like the way it's currently set up. Uh, that requires such an advance notice and that it has to be taken in weeks, uh, blocks of, of weeks at a time. So uh, the Secure Leave Subcommittee is looking at ways to, you know, recommendations to the court uh, that, that they can make to improve that process. They're, they've uh, created a survey that they're going to be sending out to the litigators and those that are in the courthouse uh, often to figure out, uh, get their input. There's also a subcommittee that is studying diversity and inclusion issues, um, both internal at the, you know, internal issues for the state bar. What can the state bar be doing better? Uh, what can uh, the legal community be doing better? Uh, and that committee is ongoing and, and hopefully we'll see some good recommendations from that committee in the future. The, the third subcommittee that I'll talk about is there's one studying uh, the court appointed counsel process uh, and whether that relates to the uh, hourly fee for court appointed counsel. Um, you know, are we struggling to find good lawyers to be on these court appointed lists? What can we do to, to make that process better and what recommendations can we make Can the state bar make to improve that process? Again, they're going to be doing a survey for, for people who are involved in that process and court appointed counsel and try to get some input from lawyers and, and see what recommendations they can make. The, the final subcommittee that is being uh, that's going on under issues is the regulatory change subcommittee and I know Brian you, you're uh, counsel to that committee and they, they've looked at a lot of issues but what have they been uh, tackling this quarter as they continue the, their study. Right. So this subcommittee has been going on for since really mid-year last year. We've had a number of meetings. Again, I'll tell all of our listeners, feel free to go watch those meetings on our YouTube channel because they really are very interesting. We're studying a bunch of different regulatory change ideas and initiatives from across the country uh, and really across uh, the globe. Um, and so this past quarter, we had um, our really a, a second meeting focused entirely on the idea of a limited license for paraprofessionals. Uh, this is an idea that's been implemented in other countries. You know, uh, Ontario uh, has, uh, has a program where they license 
paralegals to uh, practice limited areas of law uh, alongside lawyers. Uh, Arizona and Utah also have programs in place right now where they are licensing paraprofessionals. Minnesota has a pilot program uh, to, uh, to license paraprofessionals where they're studying this. And so we had a, a yet another meeting on this very topic. There's been a proposal uh, submitted to, uh, to the state bar uh, from a group called the North Carolina Justice for All Project. And it's a group of paralegals that are very interested and, and, and dedicated to the idea of providing uh, legal services, but limited legal services uh, for those that really can't afford legal services. So I think this is an idea that we will continue to explore. Um, I think uh, just the fact that this is the second meeting where we've been focused on this idea entirely uh, is, uh, is an indication of the, the genuine interest in just exploring this idea and seeing where this goes. But that, that committee is gonna continue its work uh, throughout the rest of the year. We're hoping to have a report with some recommendations before the State Bar Council uh, by the end of the year, really at the October meeting. So we'll keep an eye out for that. And we're going to get to the, the, the dirty details of, of the grievance statistics and the random audit announcement in just a second. I just want to talk to you about uh, quickly a couple uh, other items that, that had uh, from the April meeting. The appointments committee is going to be making some appointments in July. So if you're interested in serving on, on various boards and commissions that are uh, related to the state bar. The, appoint, the vacancies that are coming up for July are with the Disciplinary Hearing Commission, the Board of Legal Specialization, and the IOLTA Board. If you're interested in serving on any of those committees, uh, please contact uh, Alice Mine, our Executive Director at amine at ncbar.gov, and she'll be able to tell you what types of uh, documentation you should send in. Uh, finally, uh, the, uh, we're pr proud and happy to announce that the Finance and Audit Committee received the audit report for 2020, and the State Bar uh, had a clean audit with no issues uh, that were uh, found with our, by our auditors. That report will be submitted to the State Auditor's Office, and you can find those audit reports through the State uh, Auditor's Office. Let's let's get to let's get to the the thing that everybody's been waiting for. Thank you for uh, for joining us uh, on this uh, this journey through the April 2021 quarterly meeting. Uh, but uh, as everybody knows, uh, there is a grievance committee, and, and discipline is something that uh, the state bar uh, has to. Uh, carry out in terms of its regulatory function. It's something that is taken very seriously and the counselors that serve on the grievance committee really do a very great job of being very thoughtful um, in, in weighing all the different considerations and determining what should be done with the complaints that are submitted by the public. Um, so ultimately, Peter, do you have some statistics on what the grievance committee did at the April meeting? Yeah, so the grievance committee uh, uh, considered 192 items this quarter. And I think the most important thing for lawyers to know is that 149 of those files were dismissed. So there, there is a, a large amount of, of files and grievances that, that get dismissed by the committee. Uh, there is, there's, there's no kind of plan at the state bar to target lawyers and go and issue discipline that's unwarranted. Uh, so of the 192 items, 149 of those were dismissed. There were some files uh, continued. We had seven lawyers referred to the trust account compliance program. We had six lawyers who received letters of caution. Eight lawyers received letters of warning. 
Both of those are officially dismissals, uh, letters of caution and letters of warning. Uh, five lawyers received admonitions. All of that is private discipline. And then as it relates to publicly uh, known discipline, there were four lawyers who received reprimands, three lawyers who received a censure, and then six lawyers were referred uh, to the Disciplinary Hearing Commission. So they, uh, the Grievance Committee instructed the State Bar to file a complaint against those lawyers at the DHC, um, alleging serious misconduct that could rise to the level of potential suspension or disbarment. It's important to note that the State Bar Council and the Office of Counsel does not suspend or disbar lawyers. Uh, that process is done through uh, uh, hearings with the Disciplinary Hearing Commission. The State Bar in that instance serves as the, the, the prosecutor, uh, even though it's a civil matter, it, it's, a, it's akin to a prosecuting a criminal case that the State Bar files a complaint and, and prosecutes that case in front of the panel of the Disciplinary Hearing Commission. So that's the, that's the grievance numbers for April. And uh, the last item to, to mention, I think uh, of note to anyone listening, there is random audits are still being conducted, although most of them are being done remotely. There are the, the two counties that were selected for random audit this quarter are Cabarrus County and Robinson County. So those judicial districts of those two counties are uh, going to be uh, randomly audited. I will say that Brian and I spent some time before recording this trying to make sure that we were pronouncing Robison County correctly. Uh, and, and you can find some, um, some, some differing opinions on that online. If you have a comment on whether or not Peter just correctly or incorrectly pronounced Robison County, feel free to send it to pbolek at ncbar.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's 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 what we got this this for this episode. Um, look for more episodes coming soon. Uh, we're going to try to get some interviews with some distinguished service award winners and, and other uh, maybe some uh, fifty-year lawyers uh, that are member have been members of the state bar for for a long time and are distinguished. Uh, so we hope to get those out to you this summer uh, with another uh, summary of the July meeting after that takes place. We really appreciate you guys being with us today. And that should conclude our this episode of Bar Talk. <laughs>